when we moved back to Fort Worth, I was quite excited because I, I lived in Fort Worth. I told you last week that I grew up in a small podunk country town in West Texas for about 11 years. So we moved to San Antonio, then Corpus Christi, then to, to Fort Worth, and then I uh, got married to, to Kaylin, and then we moved around a bit around all over Texas. But I just remember being a Texas boy, and then before coming back to Fort Worth, we moved to Albuquerque. And when we moved to Albuquerque, it was uh, similar to other times I would moved when I was a kid. It was a culture shock. It was just like, what is this city? The first thing I felt like that was very, uh, very noticeable. It was the driving. Like everyone was chill in Albuquerque. Like everyone was like, no, time doesn't matter. We'll show when we show up and they'll start it when we show up. And they're like, I don't, that's not how time works. Like time keeps going and there's a deadline and you, you, you should hit that deadline. And if people say, let's show up at six, like, show up early and so if you're running late speed up that's what i'm saying that's all i'm arguing it's just please speed up the city of albuquerque there's two interstates and you've got to go faster that's what i felt there's a lot of things that happened in albuquerque but coming back to fort worth it felt like hey this is different as well like this this kind of religious religious culture um a lot of people connected the church but a lot of how we think about Jesus is doing things to earn his favor. And I was like, man, this also feels weird. This, this is a shock as well. And I tell you those things and maybe try to stir them up in you to think about your own of what has changed when you moved to a different city or gone to a different city. The things are just shocking to you. Uh, I, know, I know some people here that have moved here from Louisiana recently, different parts of the country that live here. And you're like, one of the first things I ask, like, what do you think about Fort Worth? I just listen. I listen to all the wildness of like, this is great. This is bizarre. What about that? I like this. I don't like this. It's like, yeah, good. There's, there's a shock when we go to a new place. What we're going to see this morning is Paul traveling to share the gospel, and he goes to another place, and on his journey there, and while he is there, some radical things happen, and a church is started in Ephesus. Why we have the letter of Ephesians is because what happened in, in Acts 19. And so we're going to look at three verses from Ephesians to look at the setting, the greeting, kind of the, the prep work before we get into this, but we're going to get into Acts 19. And so if you have your Bible, look at it with me. I want you to go to Ephesians 1, and then I'll just throw up the Acts 19 verses on the screen so we can get moving. Ephesians 1, verse 1. If you have a Bible, grab it. If you have a, a, a Bible, um, if you need one, there's some underneath the seats. Uh, also, if, if you didn't get one, we made these study guides for each of you to say, hey, we want to dig deep into Ephesians, and we want Ephesians uh, to dig deep into us as and expose what's going on in us and uh, the word applying to us. And so if you need to grab one, grab one. If, if, if you need one right now, you want one right now, throw your hand up. Someone will hand it to you. Mr. Ed will hand it to you. Someone will grab you one. And if you are like, no. I will not raise my hand in front of other people. Grab one on the way out, okay? They're right there, and they're right there. Just grab one, okay? Really helpful. Ephesians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus 
Christ. So this is a simple greeting, a simple hello. Uh, you get to clarify who is writing, who is he writing to, and what's his greeting. Now, this is Paul, an apostle by God's will. He's saying that he was chosen by God. This is the technical sense of apostle. He uh, holds the office of apostle. He's been commissioned after seeing the risen Christ, he's been commissioned by the risen Christ to tell other people and to carry this. And so he's been gifted this, chosen. He didn't, he didn't sign up for this. He didn't just say, hey, I think I want to try this new thing. God chose him and made him an apostle. And he's writing to the faithful saints in Christ. Now, faithful saints, faithful is not saying that, that, that uh, about their behavior. What that is saying is that they are holy believers. That in position, in Christ, we stand holy and blameless before the Father. And it's saints, as we say, these believers, that you believe in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. We'll talk a little bit more about Christ in a minute, but what I want to talk about is Ephesus. I want you to know about Ephesus because it's very helpful for us to be able to connect and not stiff arm an ancient letter and say, it doesn't apply to me, it doesn't connect to me, I don't need to listen to it. It's like, no, this is written to a context very similar to ours, so at the least because of that, you should listen to it. Now, I'll argue you should listen to it because it's God speaking to you. That's why you should listen to it. But if you're like, I don't know about that, I don't know if, if it is God's work. Okay, that's fine. I'll stay over here with you. This is an ancient letter that's been preserved for 2,000 years, written from a Christian who loves Jesus to a context very similar to ours. Christians in a context very similar to Couldn't it do something in us? Couldn't have at least some wisdom to help us? And so if you're on the fence or you're just kind of checking this out, what I'm telling you is, yes, you should. Now, I want you to perk up a little bit with your ears to say, what is this? What could this say to me? What, what would this maybe change in my thinking or in my heart or actually in my everyday lifestyle? So written to Ephesus. Now, in your Bible, in your translation, it may not say Ephesus. It may have an asterisk that say uh, most or a few manuscripts do not include Ephesus. We can debate about that, talk about that. Here's what's happening. I think it's a circular letter written to the region of Ephesus, but Ephesus is the city in that region, so it makes sense that he'd write there and then be able to circulate it throughout the whole region. Now, he starts his church in Acts 19, Paul does. So think about Ephesus. It is the third largest city in the Roman Empire this time. 250,000 people, a major port, the primary port in Asia Minor. So it's a commerce center full of uh, multi-ethnic, multi-culture trading people from all over the place. It's a cosmopolitan city that, that is the anchor of Asia Minor. So when you think about wealth, yes. You think about a lot of commerce and trade. You think a lot of new ideas. You think of different uh, uh, ethnicities and cultures all shoved into one city with 250,000 people. That's what is happening here. It's the Roman capital of Asia Minor. The first century writer Strabo called it the greatest commercial center in Asia, this side of the Mississippi. He didn't say Mississippi, but he said Taurus River. And I was like, that sounds just like something we say. They've been using these colloquial things for 2,000 years. He said, 
It's the greatest commercial center this side of the Taurus River. I don't know where that's at. I don't know what's happening on the other side. I just want to tell you, it's a major commercial center. So you get a, start getting a picture of what's happening here in Ephesus. It reminds me a bit of, a, of Houston. Major port, a lot of trade, large global city, right? A lot of diversity, a lot of thoughts, all converging on one city. If that's the case, now, size-wise, it's more like Irving, like 250,000, right? It's not 2 million like Houston, but still, think about going to a city like this as a missionary. And this is what Paul does. He comes in, and he shows up, and he spends three months in the synagogue preaching the risen Christ opening up the scrolls from the Old Testament, hearing the Old Testament scrolls read, and then from there saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Believe in Jesus for three months. Then he gets some opposition. They start pushing back, fighting back. Stop talking about Jesus, okay? You're ruining the Old Testament. You're ruining the Mosaic law. They get some opposition from the Jewish leaders there. So then he picks up and rents out a lecture hall for two years and teaches daily. Now, again, a little bit different. Uh, our culture, not huge on siestas, right? As in, I've never had a siesta, but they did. Similar to other cultures in the East, during the middle of the day, they don't work. And so every day, Paul, most likely, would stop work like everyone else from making tents, and he would go to the lecture hall, and everyone would come in, and he would teach them daily for two years people are becoming Christians, disciples are made, leaders are developed, two years. And then Acts 19 tells us that God is performing miraculous works through the hand of Paul, so much so that tissues or hankies that come from him, they put on other people, and those people are healed of their diseases. That's how powerful God is flexing in Ephesus. That it's like, oh, Paul, you got a bandana on you? Yeah, you need a sneeze? No, I want to heal a couple of folks. Okay, go for it. That's what's happening. That's what, do you have a loose article of clothing that we can borrow? God is powerfully flexing that the evil forces and powers of darkness that are rampant in Ephesus aren't out of control, unleashing their fury on everyone unchecked. No, there is someone in charge over them that is going to show them who is the boss and his name's Jesus then he's going to kick demons out of here and he's going to tell diseases go away and people are going to be healed this is what's happening so much so that it messes with their commerce if you know about Ephesus I'll tell you uh, they really enjoyed magic that sounds so weird uh, dark magic all right, let me push a little bit further for my homeschooling friends. Uh, darker than Harry Potter magic, like dark magic, you know, like real dark stuff. Okay. <laughs> I lost the room. Like you guys, some of you guys like, don't watch Harry Potter. And others, you like, I love it. Quote it. Reference it. Reference it. Um, this is dark stuff happening here, though, honestly. Shamanism, the occult demonic practices, they're trying to harness 
the evil power. They really believed that there's good and evil power, good and evil spirits all around, and they would use magic, incantations, conjurings, to harness that power. That's what they believed. That there's evil power or good power all around them, and to, to use this magic is to harness that power and use it how they want to use it. And that's what they're doing. But then, uh, while God is doing extraordinary miracles through Paul, what does Satan do so much? He counterfeits, right? And so do other people. They counterfeit. And so there's, in Acts 19, there's these seven sons of Sceva. Bad name for a father. But bad situation for seven sons. They go around, they're, they're itinerant exorcists, meaning they travel exercising demons. Uh, not like Richard Simmons, meaning they get rid of demons. Thank you. Okay. That's what they do. Now, what do they do? They go in here and they say, by the name of Jesus, leave. What do the demons say? We know Jesus. We've heard of Paul. Who are you? So just in general, if you're not a Christian, you should not plead the name of Jesus to get rid of demons. They'll most likely laugh at you and then beat you up and send you running naked. So another example of what not to do, because that's what happened. They get beat up by the demons. They're running. Now, it's amazing because what happens? I'll tell you this story to look at Acts 19, verse 18. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. This is an old school bonfire, right? Not, not, not like that cheesy post-Christian camp burned some secular music. I mean, like, we have been giving our lives to dark magic. We have been involved in occult practices. We have been imploring the devil and his minions to help us in this. We've got to stop, turn away from all this darkness, and look at the risen Christ and put this stuff to death. Let's gather up and burn it. And so they do. And the calculated value found to be 50,000 pieces of silver. It's a crazy amount. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. But in the city of Ephesus, this affects their bottom line. So don't mess with people's gods and don't mess with their money because this guy does not like it. Why? In the city of Ephesus, there's one of the seven wonders of the world. And the seven wonders of the world, one of them is the temple of Artemis. Artemis is uh, a god of fertility. Uh, she's seen in a statue, we'll show you, of uh, a fertility. There's these things hanging around her body. People debate what they are. And that neither of them are great. Either way, it's about fertility. Whatever it is, it's about fertility. But that's what they worship. And then they had this great temple that was 377 feet long. One of the seven wonders of the world. A temple longer than a fo football field, as wide as 50 yards, and with columns eight feet in diameter. Seventh wonder of the world. And with this massive temple, that means Artemis was the primary god, goddess, that was worshipped in Ephesus. But 
polytheism was the norm, and so you worship Artemis, but you also worship the other 50 or so gods or goddesses in Ephesus at the time. It was typical for you to worship more than one god, meaning you had a buffet. But, again, when you mess with, your god, with someone's god and their money, you cause some problems, right? And that's what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years, messing with people's gods and money. Why? Because those are often so connected. And because we want not to mess with them, we want you, if you're in the room, I don't just want to mess with you. I want to say, hey, this thing is failing you. It's not worth it. Pause right there. Acts 19, verse 23. About that time, there was a major disturbance about the way for a person named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, provided a great deal of business for the craftsmen. When he assembled, when he had assembled them, as well as the workers engaged in the type of business, he said, men, you know that our prosperity is derived from this business. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this man Paul has persuaded and misled a considerable number of people by saying that gods made by hand are not gods. Not only do we run a risk that our business may be discredited, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be despised and her magnificence come to the verge of ruin, the very one all of Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were filled with rage and began to cry out. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Why I say that is because it turns into a riot. This is their call. This is their protest. This is what they're yelling. This is what they're writing on boards and saying now. Great is Artemis. Don't, don't come in here and tell us that Artemis is not a god. Don't come in here and, and take away from our commerce about Artemis being the god. No, Artemis is the great one. Great is Artemis of Ephesians, and it turns into this wild riot. So the city was filled with confusion. They rushed all together into the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Now, riot, and they're going to try to kill Paul. What is this all over? This is all over who is in charge. Is it great is Artemis of the Ephesians or great is Jesus of Nazareth? The interesting thing about Artemis is why they would worship her. It starts even way before the people that are there at this time, back to the Amazonian period. But what happened is that a meteor, a rock, fell from the sky. That's what they said. Hey, don't we all know that this rock fell from the sky is a part of Artemis? We put it in part of the temple. Like, this is why we worship. We all know she's worthy of worship. And Paul, over and over again for two years, is saying, in essence, no, she's not. No, she's not. She's not. I, I mean, just think, though. Think about the visceral reaction of the city. If someone from California came into Fort Worth and then, like, launched a campaign to shut down Billy Bob's, can you imagine what would happen in the city? Like, people would not go to the amphitheater. We would all go to Billy Bob's or Sundance Square and all be yelling, great is Billy Bob's of Fort Worth. Don't tear it down. Like some of you, instead of hugging trees, you're going to chain yourself to Billy Bob's so it doesn't get destroyed. Like that's how passionate you are about Billy Bob's. That's not even close to what's happening with these guys. 
This is their God. This is their source of income. This is what their whole city is built around. Don't you dare discredit her. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. She's not that great. Great is Jesus of Nazareth. That's who's great. And that's what he's going to do through this whole letter is highlight, exalt, raise up and magnify the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the great one. Worship him, not him and three other gods. Worship him alone. That's what he's going to argue for. Now, there's three prominent issues in Ephesus that he's going to address in this letter, but you see it from Acts 19, and we'll see it throughout this letter. Three things. Fear of evil spirits and demons. And as these people became Christians in Ephesus, they still feared evil spirits and demons. And so he's, he's going to make a case throughout this whole letter that you should not be afraid of evil spirits and demons because the Lord Jesus has put them under his feet. Number two, they're coming out similar to ours, sexual insanity, paganism, where anything is worshipped, and most often when you worshipped a God that wasn't Jesus, it had to do uh, including your physical body, sexuality. And so just sexual insanity, and they're coming out of this, this paganism, this sexuality, and then becoming Christians, coming to the church, and like, how do we live? How do we Well, Paul's going to help them cultivate a lifestyle centered on Jesus that impacts every area of their lives, from parenting to how they work to how they relate to another as friends and as fellow brothers and sisters in the church, the gospel is going to invade and pervade everything in our lives. A whole completely different lifestyle, free from drunkenness, free from sexual immorality, no longer lying, no longer stealing, no longer bitterness overwhelming our heart towards other people, like a new lifestyle. Another issue, though, is this tension tension between Jews and Gentiles. And the question there is, can there be unity? Can there be unity? With all this tension, with all the ethnic animosity and hatred, but then also on top of that, Gentiles, not Christian Gentiles, non-Jewish people, Christians, not respecting the Jewish Christians and ancestry and heritage of the faith. And then the Jewish people still living with a, a non-Christian mindset to the Gentiles. They're Christians, they're brothers and sisters, but they still treat them like dogs, like second-hand second citizens, second-class, what'd you say? Rate, second-rate citizens. That's what they're treating them like. And so can there be unity between these two groups? Does that sound familiar? It sounds a lot like us. It sounds like a lot like our culture. Now, our interactions with evil spirits and demons are probably the greatest difference. But the same thing that happened to the, the Christians in Ephesus, it also happens to us. Meaning, how we were formed by the culture about evil spirits and demons continues after we meet Jesus most often. That's how it continued for them. 
They're so fearful of evil spirits and demons. They meet Jesus, they're still fearful of evil spirits and demons. We don't believe in evil spirits and demons. We meet Jesus, we still don't believe in evil spirits and demons. Like, what? We're still in it. Something needs to change for us. That needs to be addressed in us. This letter doesn't need to say, hey, stop being fearful of evil spirits. It needs to say, hey, there are evil spirits, and you don't need to be afraid of them, because Jesus reigns. The second thing about this is paganism, this sexual immorality. You know what? The, the first step for us as people become Christians, as adults, and move into our family, you know what the first thing we really got to wrestle with in discipleship? that's particular to this context, is sexual stuff, past sexual sin, sexual perversion, how they think about sex. Is it, is it a God they worship? Is it gross? Like all those things that we've talked about, that's the things we have to lean into and help. Think about what does it look like? What does a redeemed sex life look like? I got a red light up uh, on here now. Okay. That was on purpose. We didn't, we didn't plan that. It's not a cue of like when I say this word, start talking about sexual stuff. <laughs> throw a red light up. <laughs> Just to be clear, I don't know. But now a new life with new habits and new behaviors. That's what we need. A, a life flowing from Christ and his life. A new lifestyle. But then also think, wait, what about the division and the animosity? Doesn't that sound a little bit familiar? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it's very familiar. Very familiar. Just ethnocentric pride and racism and, and easy to just look down on somebody because they look different than you. That sounds very similar. So can there be unity? Can't, like, is unity, this is how I feel in 2022. Beyond me and my wife, is unity possible? I know it's here. I've experienced with her, so I'm just, I'm trying to just be honest. Is it possible anywhere else? Is it? That's what it feels like. Is, it, is, is unity possible? In a couple of friends, in a community group, in a church, small as this even, is unity possible? Paul's going to get into it. But I'll tell you this, to think about this, to think about how, how similar a culture is to ours, is, is, is hopefully why I want to tell you that, is to give you hope. I don't know if you're like me, but with the cultural upheaval and so much has changed and, and people even that I've talked to and how they think about things that seem to have changed over the past three years so quickly, but not seen, for th seen some people for three years, two years. And the past 60 years of a se sexual revolution then like <laughs> smashing their mind and now they completely think differently about things. It can feel a bit like, what's happening? And are we going to lose our bearings? And is, are we okay? <laughs> and me thinking like uh, about, like I'm praying and thinking about you often. I'm thinking about, are these people straying from the shepherd? Well, what do these people think about Jesus now? What is their sexual ethic now? Does it match the scriptures or, or they've just like replaced it with something else? Now, do we all have a, a long path of growing into maturity, following Jesus for the rest. Yes, we do. Like, that's where we're at. It. But, but I, I just tell you, I'm, I'm concerned when I think about these things. But this reality that the church 
thrive and flourished and bore witness to Jesus in a cultural very similar ties gives me great hope. Whether we're mocked, ridiculed, or marginalized, it will be okay because we see from the scriptures that the Holy Spirit can thrive and make a church and a people thrive even if they're on the margins, even if they're called bigots, even if they're ridiculed for what they communicate, what they believe, uh, how they act. Gives me hope. That Christianity was born and spread immensely and fastly, rapidly throughout the Roman Empire in a culture similar to ours. Jesus is still on the throne. He's still good, and his kingdom is still advancing, even in America in 2022. Still going, and won't stop until he brings all things together. For his glory and his people's good. So there's great hope in this. So instead of like, well, what, what do we got to do? How are we going to connect? How are we going to uh, match with these people? How are we going to uh, speak to them? Instead of worrying and thinking about uh, how could we possibly be faithful and communicate the gospel in this era, let's, let's go back to our ancestors the future of our church is in its past that, that we need to dig up and, and and enjoy the theology from church history and from the early church but also its mission we need to pick up the mission of the early church in a culture similarized in jeff matters this is what he says the early church shows us how to flourish and bear witness in our time and these are three simple things that he tells us one show mercy I'll say it. Show hospitality and mercy to the world. That's what they did. We showed mercy and hospitality to the world. We were and can be little homes of refuge to welcome people in. Your friends that are numb and confused and overwhelmed by everything that's happening in just their life, not to mention around them, you can welcome them into your home. You can welcome them into your life. You can show them mercy and hospitality. What else they do? They loved one another in surprising unity. It's possible. It's possible to be united and together and, and, and continue together as a people. That maybe we have preferences, maybe we have second-handed issues that we disagree on, like passionately, and it's okay because I'm going to love you because you are in Christ and I am in Christ. So it's surprising unity, not based upon our preferences or the things that we think or like, or even our affinities, some of the things that we do and other people do. No, our affinity, our unity is in Christ alone. That's why we're united. And because he's loved you, it means you can turn around and love everyone and, and just keep loving even if you disagree on things. Even if you want to fight, even if you debate over things. And then every member is talking about the risen Jesus nonstop. I love how he writes this. To the world and one another in sermons, catechism, teaching, conversation, and evangelism. This is what it looks like in this strange new world that really isn't that new. 
it's cyclical time is and we're in a similar culture we're in a similar cultural boat as the people in Ephesians and with all that said what is Paul's first admonition to them verse 3 blessed is the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ now this is different than most of Paul's other letters he usually moves into this this thanksgiving right now he just breaks into a a long one sentence forever long sentence that just praises God for what he has done now that, that sounds strange right you're saying blessed is the God father blessed now that's rooted in the baraka that's a, a form of old testament worship and it's a eulogy meaning it's just a a speech of praise and he's going to praise God for what he's that's what he's saying blessed is the God father what he's saying is praise Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. And the beauty is the play on words, right? Blessed is the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So praise, praise. This isn't to instruct us. This wasn't to instruct the Ephesians. From verse 3 to 14 is to lead us and to excite us to praise the Father for who he is and what he has done. Recalling God's blessings in Christ is stoking the fire of our heart's gratitude and praise. We're saying he's adopted me. When you start recalling his blessings, you start recalling what he's done for you, you're throwing logs on the flame of affections for him. That's what you're doing. You're adding fuel to the fire to say, oh, this is what you've done, and this is what you've done, and this is what you've done. And so when my mom would sing me that song, Count Your Many Blessings, what she was trying to do is to get me to praise Jesus for what he's done in my life. And Paul's doing the same. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing circle the word every turn to your neighbor i tried this last week and say every because every means every god is not a stingy shysty person that's withholding from you he has given you every spiritual blessing there's not one he's like no not yet maybe later everything every spiritual blessing is yours because you're in Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying there's two people, uh, two kinds of people in the world. There are people who are in Christ or who are not in Christ. That's you this morning. Are you in Christ? Or are you not in Christ? If you're in Christ, then Christ has won every spiritual blessing by his life, death, and resurrection, saying, I've conquered the grave. He's won it for you, and then by you putting your faith in him, he's gifted it to you. It's yours in him because you're in him. So it's yours. The greatest gift here that shouldn't be missed is Jesus, not the list of blessings. All the blessings that he's about to list off are yours because Jesus is yours and because you're you are Jesus's. Every 
spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. He's not rationing. He's not withholding. He's not stingy. Now, spiritual, don't think about that as like anti-material. That's not what we mean by spiritual blessing. Spiritual blessing means that it is from the Spirit. That you have these blessings in your life because you have the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So, do you see it with me from the jump? We are to praise Father, Son, and Spirit. That we are, to use our vernacular, to delight in the Trinity. That we are, before Paul tells them to do anything uh, about this or this person or thinking about this, he's going to say, just like the church's priority and mission throughout the ages, we are all here to the praise of his glory. We're all here to praise the Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done. And he's about to break this down even. I don't want to be too stuck on this or or wooden on this uh, uh, um, breakdown. But the next three verses is, next few verses are Trinitarian. Like verses four through six, he's going to tell us that we've been chosen for adoption by the Father. And then 7 through 10 are telling that we've been redeemed for unity by the Son. And then verses 11 through 14 are tell us that we're sealed by the Spirit for inheritance. That this is the work of the Father, Son, and Spirit in human history and in your life. And as Paul is starting off and saying, because of that, Because of that, because of what God has done for you in Christ, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Like unleash the the inhibitions, the things like, oh, I'm insecure. I don't know what people will think about me. Oh, I don't want to give myself too much to this God. Oh, I want to save myself and reserve my, my time and my energy. No, how about throw your hands up in the air like you just don't care and praise him. Seriously, that's what Paul is doing. Praise God. What else are you doing? Work, parenting, cool. In all of those things, your heart and your affections are to be poured out perpetually on the feet of Jesus. Praise him. Why? For what he has done. Every spiritual blessing. Now, uh, one, of, one, of, one of the, how was I going to say this? Chance the Rapper has a song that he just picked up a, a, a little phrase that has been sung for years. And it says, as the praises go up, the blessings go down. It's a catchy song, repeats it, good hook, good beat. I'm a fan. But it's wrong, okay? It's wrong. Like so many songs that you listen to, I'm going to blame you. They're wrong. you got to stop listening to them, okay? I'll keep listening because I know they're wrong. But you've got to stop listening to those kind of songs. Uh, just joking. But seriously, the thing happening here is this. The blessings come down, and then the praises go up. Meaning, you are never the initiator of your relationship with the Father. The Father has initiated this. As we'll see next week, from before you were in your mother's womb, before you were a thought, before your parents were in their mother's womb, 
Before the foundation of the world, you were chosen by the Father to be forgiven, saved, redeemed, bought with the precious blood of Jesus. This is every spiritual blessing, so then all of our life is to the praise of his glory. Praise God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done. What's he about to say? You are chosen. You're loved. You're adopted. You're forgiven. You're blameless. You're free. You're forgiven. You're graced. You're sealed. You're indwelt by the Spirit. You are to the praise of his glory. So everything that he's about to list off is just fodder for you to say, yes, Lord, and praise you and praise you and praise you. Because our God and Father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, we will praise the Father, Son, and Spirit. Like This is what comes off our lips. This is what flows out of our hearts. This is what our actions align with, is glorifying, making much of, celebrating the goodness of Jesus in all of our life. When you are, like, beat down by suffering, you're going to praise your way through it. Even when that addiction will not stop, you feel stuck in that rut. I'm going to praise him for what he has done. When you feel like he's not good to you and all your circumstances are saying he's not providing, he's not going to take care of this, you should be concerned about all of these things, we're going to praise him, not because our circumstances are favorable, but because he's favorable to us in Christ. Meaning, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Nothing can change the Father's smile towards you. Because what he's done for you in Christ. praise him and and i don't i've talked about this sometimes in like all of life right that that this isn't just a corporate worship thing this is worshiping jesus in all of life on a tuesday morning and thursday evening all the time but can i get specific to this moment that that's why we put our songs at the end that's why we put so much response at the end why because we think the scripture is going to lead you to Jesus every Sunday and lift him high. And what do we want for all of us to do in response to Jesus being lifted high every Sunday? To magnify him, and praise him, and exult in him, to enjoy him. I really don't care if you like me or not. I, I, I prefer if you don't tell me anything on the way out about my sermon, like it's a good sermon. That means nothing, really. It doesn't, uh, you know, good. It's not even specific enough, so I, I can't even receive that. Uh, but I don't care. I don't care what you say about that. I want you to walk away from this place saying, how good is God? How, how good is God? Like you walking away on your lips to your friend, to your spouse, in the car, that what you're saying to yourself 
is how good is God to you? And so I'm going to pray for this, but I think something needs to change in some of us in this regard. That we've bought the lie that our, our faith is supposed to be private. Even in a room of other people that pronounce the same faith. It's bizarre. Can I just tell you, you're, you're free in the presence of the Spirit to, to let go of those ambitions or those walls that you built and just lay your heart bare and stop trying to minimize or manage all of your desires, but take your desires and point them and direct them to where they should be and go hard. Like, won't he be enough for you if you keep praising him? Yes, he will. You won't, just like I don't think there's any person in this room that's too encouraged, Jesus is not too praised. The rest of eternity is us magnifying and enjoying him. And before creation, that's what the Father did. So there, there's no way we're going to get bored with him. So praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done. Every spiritual blessing we've been given because we're in Christ. Father, thank you for this. And I praise you. I praise you that you are here with us. Lord, I, I pray that you would send your spirit to move in us and to change us, to change what we see and to change what we seek, to really change us, Lord, to change what we love, and to change our priorities and to change our affections or how we have tried to taper them or dampen them. But Lord, I, I pray that you, you would break some dams for you this morning in our hearts. Dislodge what's built there and clog it and that we would joyfully praise you for what you've done for us now and forevermore. In Christ's name. Amen.